The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. Joining me today on the panel is Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. Uh, yeah, we were going to replace Thomas and Erho with an AI-generated Thomas, but there were some glitches. It started getting really foul-mouthed. And, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thomas couldn't be with us. So we did threaten to replace him with an AI uh, Thomas, but uh, that didn't work out. Uh, so before we get into it, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called Raising the Bets. That's a show I do with my wife, Melanie, and you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Hey, and since this show is coming out on Thursday, May 18th, if this if you are a patron and it is not yet May, the end of day, May 19th, uh, come join us for... Uh, office hours. I've started a new thing. I'm going to try it out where I'm going to spend about a half hour or longer, depending on how, long, how things go, uh, on Patreon in a live stream, telling you what's going on behind the scenes at StarQuest, and then, you know, answering any questions that folks might have about what's going on at StarQuest. And uh, I'm hoping it becomes a regular benefit to patrons. Uh, you know, they're the ones who keep the lights on and, you know, all the rest. And uh, they have a, a, a fiduciary stake in what's going on. And I want to you know, recognize that. So uh, come check us out. Uh, check it out on Patreon at patreon.com slash StarQuest and see what it's all about. So let's get into today's topic. And the big topic is last week, Google had its annual IO event. Uh, I wonder why they call it IO. Did you ever, ever find so, out? So I think it comes from input output because originally it was more of a developer conference. And I think the idea was they take input from their community and then oh. they're giving their output of what they're working on. Although it's kind of just turned into look at the cool new products we have. Right. Like there's Apple's, a lot of cool developer stuff behind the scenes. Right. Okay. It's like WWDC for Apple, which is worldwide developer conference, but it's also where they roll out like a lot of their, you know, their, their software mostly. Um, right. So then that's coming up uh, in June. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. I, there's a lot coming for, from that one. But there's a lot from Google this year, some big hardware announcements and software as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, all of it's big. So let's start with the, the Pixel Fold. This is Google's first folding phone. Um, and it's a high-end phone. This is an $1,800 phone. It's not, not cheap. Um, and it it's in the tablet format, which is that uh, the, the folding phones come in basically two different formats. There's either, it looks like a regular, like an iPhone or a Pixel phone, you know, that's the standard bar format, and it opens up into a tablet. Or it sort of folds like, like a Star Trek communicator and then opens up into mm. a bar uh, shape. So, but this is the tablet uh, kind. And the initial uh, reviews, I would I hesitate to call them reviews, not real reviews, but the initial impressions that we've heard from people who've seen them is that it's pretty impressive. The screens are really nice. The the uh, joints where it folds, the hinge um, is pretty good, especially mm -hmm. compared to the early uh, folding phones of a few years ago. Um, what did you think of that when you saw this, Jack? I thought it was really cool. It's something I would definitely want. It is something I definitely cannot afford. Uh, mm. I think you could buy three Pixel 7 Pros for <laughs> the price of one of these. Yeah. Um, I do like that they're going with a more wide aspect ratio for the internal folding screen. That's what I don't like about the Samsung uh, Galaxy Fold is that it's very narrow even when you open it up. And this is more more like a book it gives you more usable real estate i feel like so i like that something that a lot of people have complained about which i've never really understood is the very thick bezels on the internal screen and i actually prefer that because it gives you something to actually <laughs> hold where, on to. where you put your hands yeah <laughs> and it also means that it has a decent uh front-facing camera on the internal screen whereas the samsung one has this 
under display camera, which is really cool technically, but the quality is terrible. So I'm, I'm actually fine with the thick bezels on the inside. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole conversation right there because like as the bezels get smaller and smaller, it gets harder and harder to hold things without, you know, and they, I know they use smarts to like to do like palm rejection or, you know, finger thumb rejection sort of stuff. So that, unintentional touches don't register as actual touches, but it's still uncomfortable, still feels weird, you know, and makes right. it hard to hold things. I want to have a firm grip on my $1,800 phone yeah. uh, before <laughs> I drop it. I I love the idea of folding phones. I mean, how long has sci-fi been showing us, you know, phones that, that curl up into like, are like paper and they curl up into a, a, you know, a tube or, mm-hmm. or they project a holographic screen off of it or whatever. But, um, this idea of having something that's small and convenient that expands as you need it. And I love the idea of having something that can be an iPhone for me, an iPhone or an, and, and that when I need it to be my iPad as well, yeah. uh, or in this case, a pixel phone and a tablet. Um, I, I really love that idea. And um, one of the things that, this also means is that Google will with Android will probably be developing a lot more fold specific features in the Android operating system. And I kind of think that's the main point of the pixel fold with the price that it's at a lot of, I think enthusiasts will definitely get it, but it's not something that your average person is going to pick up. Something I've always liked about the pixels is that they're usually at least a couple hundred cheaper than uh, the Samsung or the Apple equivalent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is really almost just to give a template to the market of this is what we want Android on foldable to look like. And this is kind of kind of a template that the the market can follow. So I I like that about it. And from what I understand, I've I've never had a an Android tablet, but what I understand is uh, Android on tablets has not been great in the past. The best Android tablet was the nexus 7 which came out in 2013 um and i guess we can kind of segue into talking about tablets there because google also announced their pixel tablet which is essentially a so it's a it's a tablet but it's got a dock with it so it's almost also a smart home device and i i think google's still trying with it with their tablets this is like their third or fourth try yeah. Um, speaking of which, my phone just woke up because I said said the word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't see this really going anywhere for the price, which is I think it's five hundred dollars, and it includes yeah. the dock. But it's it's just not that great of a tablet, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I I love the idea of having a device that. When it's docked, it's it's got because the dock with the with the tab pixel tablet has a better speaker in it and has some mm-hmm. had, like the dock is more than just a charging station. It's got s- smarts and stuff in it to make it better for what it's doing. And I love the idea of having a uh you know a tablet I can walk around with and then a place to put you know and then it becomes my smart home assistant or you know my right a lady in the g the g guy um in. And again, this is like as the Apple guy, I'm thinking, you know, why hasn't Apple has the number one uh, tablet out there? Right. I mean, it's it's just, yeah, it's it's a given. And, the you know, the iPad's got the market, but it's got a smart connector on it. That little special set of, you know, pins um, mm. on the back. Uh, and it's used only, almost exclusively for keyboards. And I'm like, why haven't they come up with a simple stand that makes it? Like you could turn into this smart home control panel, or I was thinking even going beyond that, um, a special version of the HomePod or HomePod mini that it, you know, does its thing as itself. And then you dock an iPad on it. And now it's, it's a HomePod with a screen, which everyone says that's what we want. Um, so I love this idea of, of this and, and, and I hope it kind of jogs some, you know, mm. interest in other places, some competition, but um, Hey, if Google can get their, their tablet, off the ground and you know competitive again that's good for everyone uh, i really want to see it and 500 dollars is i mean apple has cheaper ipads so it sort of depends on what what the features are going to be like does this yeah. fall in more of the pro category or in the 
I mean, because if it's if it's really basic, it doesn't really compete on price with the iPad. Looking at the specs, it definitely falls more in the I think the comparable iPad would be the the 10th generation one, whatever the base model is. And I think that's like four fifty. So it's fifty dollars cheaper. Um, Of course, you're getting the stand, but for five hundred dollars for something that I feel like a lot of people who are going to. If you have this amount of money to spend, you probably already have a, a Nest Hub. Right. And if you don't already have that, I don't know if people are going to want to spend $500. I feel like if they put this out at like 350 I think that would have made it a lot more attractive. I would have considered it at that point. But right. 500 is just a bit too much. Um, one thing I noticed that I feel like is, is a miss is the fact that the smart home, the dock... Like, I really like that when you plug it in, it turns into your Google Home, which is great. Um, I have one of those. It's the old kind. It doesn't disconnect, obviously. But you cannot cast music to the speaker dock when it's disconnected, hmm. which I feel like was a real mess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because that's what I gather. Like, all the smarts are on the tablet so yeah. that when it's disconnected, the the dock, it doesn't do anything. And yeah, it just sits there. Yeah, that that that's that is a bit of a miss. Um and I agree on the price. I think cuz the the Nest Hub Max is 250 and mm-hmm. just and if you just make it another $100 more, it will I think people will make that leap, that push to get a tablet, you know, mm-hmm. on top of it, but I'm not sure people will pay twice as much. Um but we'll we'll have to see on that. So another thing that they came up with here is they announced uh the Pixel 7a uh, it's just sticking with hardware for the moment. And the it, this is so they usually have there's their lineup is usually the, you know, the number like Pixel 7, mm-hmm. 7 Pro, which is the upper. And then the 7A, which is, you know, in the vast is it's their lowest end phone. But in the vast marketplace of Android phones, it's it's a mid range phone. It costs. Yeah you know, somewhere in that mid range price of what, 250, I think, or even less. So previously, uh, I know the Pixel 6a, I think, was 399 or 450 Okay. I think it was 450 450 actually. that's and right. Yeah, so the new one is 499 which really is not that bad, I feel like. I remember a time when $500 was a lot for a phone, but I guess we're past that point. Um, yeah. And this essentially has everything that the Pixel 7 has in it, but it's $100 cheaper. So it's interesting to see that... I almost feel like they're kind of cannibalizing their own lower level flagship phone with this. Yeah. What is the difference? I guess the, the seven doesn't have multiple camera lenses. So the pixel, the seven a and the seven both have the standard and wide angle camera on the back. They both have a 90 Hertz refresh rate. Um, I think the seven has a glass back and the seven a has a, polycarbonate plastic back but apparently you can't really tell the difference when you're touching them and you Mm. also can't do the reverse wireless charging with the 7a uh yeah that's that's a good point um yeah although the 7a does wireless charging which i gather the 6a didn't do 6a didn't have wireless charging and it still had a 60 hertz screen so this has a better screen and the wireless charging Pretty much has everything that the seven has. Nice. Yeah. I mean, if I were, gosh, if I were looking for a, a, a good, you know, Android phone, I'd totally be looking at, at the seven uh, a and, and because mm-hmm. yeah, at 500 bucks, that's a pretty good deal for a phone of this capability. Uh, it's, it's impressive and interesting. Cause does that, I wonder if that means the eight pixel eight is probably not far away and you know will be an, an another push leap to you know to to keep it distinguished from the lower level phone i i wonder i won't be surprised if the 8 goes up in price too yeah like the the starting price for the 7 was 599 i bet we're going to see 699 for the starting price for the 8 right cuz the 7 pro was 899 so i would not yeah. be surprised to see 500, 700, 900, you know, uh, those $200 increments between Mm -hmm. the various ones. That makes a lot of sense. 
so moving from hardware to software, of course, the big buzzword of everything is AI or l- large language models or whatever you want to call it. And so they, they, uh, the Bard, which is their experimental chat AI, like ChatGPT, has gone, you know, is open. Everyone can can play with it. But the real interesting news to me was this, uh, the AI in search. And so now what will happen is with their new, this new search, Google AI search, I forget what they call it, but something along those lines, where you, you put in a search and you'll get your usual list of links but then it will generate this text at the top of the page, which is sort of, um, well, th- let me give an example. I think it probably be easiest if we give an example that uh, this was from the, uh, the Verge's article on this. Uh, the, uh, the demonstration was why is sourdough bread still so popular? So what you're asking is more open-ended questions. And so when you have an, op- an open-ended question that um, can involve some interpretation or gathering of information in- together, uh, I think that's the sort of question that will have this sort of AI or um, ones where it at, you, you ask it things like, what's the best of this? What's what, you know, make judgment calls really is is where this this would come in handy. And then it puts a paragraph at the top. But the big difference to me is and it makes it different from, say, ChatGPT, is that it will give its sources. It will corroborate why. And that's the big thing right now with uh with AI, AI is how often you, you know they they can be confidently wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and 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 so if it gives the corroborating links to its sources that's a big deal what did you think of this uh Google AI search I really like it as a jumping off point for researching topics um I still think for very specific questions you're going to want to just search what you want and then find it but for this um, I like that it gives you a good summary and that the information that it provides is not static. You can dynamically search through that AI chunk at the top from your initial starting point and it will update that dynamically and it keeps like a like a hist I guess it'd be a history, but it remembers what you are talking about and builds on it from there, which I really like. Yes. I lo- I love that. I use I've been using ChatGPT more and more myself for various tasks, and I love the fact that I don't have to start from scratch every time I want to like, yeah. you know, add something new. You know, like uh, spell check this, or you know, check this for spelling and grammar. I do this all the time. Check this for spelling and grammar. Uh, tell me what you changed, and then it will tell me what it changed. Yeah, okay, now rewrite that as a dynamic and engaging tweet. You know, and I mean, it's just like it's it's conversational and. And I like this about these large language models that are out there now is that you can, it feels like they're working for you. And with the Google search, it's not replacing search. And I think that's a big aspect of it. It's right. it's just next to it or above it in this case. Uh, I like that. Yeah. With uh, using chat GPT and a Bard, I've actually found Bard to be more useful, at least for what I do. Um, I've had to untrain myself from how, we learn to use Google where yeah. you have to like give it the exact information and you start over every time where like, for example, um, I've been using it to give like summaries of the uh, episodes we do on secrets of Stargate. And then I'll take that and finesse it to what I want. But I had to stop, like I would ask it for a summary and we'd give like a four paragraph summary. And then I would want a one paragraph summary. And initially I would just do the thing where you just ask the question over again. Yes. But then you realize you just say, Give me a one paragraph summary and we'll do it. And it, yeah. it saves a lot of work. And I, I know that there's a lot of AI is a, a big buzzword right now. And there's a lot of fear mongering around it. But I think really what it is, is it's going to automate those dumb tasks that take up time. Mm-hmm. And it's going to enable you to actually get more productive work done rather than rather than spending time. Like even like when they showed off, like formatting an Excel sheet, stuff like that. Like, yep. that's great. You know, I just today found a, a way to use. Uh, so I pay for the chat GPT pro, which gives me access to GPT 3.5 and three and 4.0. Uh, so it's, it, it's, I found that to be really a step up from the, the, the free one. But um, I, one of the things I have to do a lot is I take a list of links and reformat them in HTML to make them like for like on Jimmy Akin's mysterious world was like, he always has like, 10, 15 references that he wants to put right. in the show notes. And I've got a, and he gives them to me as like 
uh, an explanation colon and then a URL. And, and it's this list in word. And I've got a, you know, that's indented with, you know, with a, um, uh, bullet points. So I've got to, I've always had to like take that. I bring it into BB edit and I have these uh, massage it and eventually get it into HTML. And I'm like, huh, I wonder I go to chat GBT, take this list and return it to me as an HTML, um, unordered list. And it did it <laughs> just perfectly. <Nice. laughs> it knew how to like, it moved the description inside the, the link and, you know, got rid of the extra colon, all this stuff. I had been like, had to come up with a regex to, you know, all that sort of stuff. It just does it. And I'm like, see, this is the sort of thing. I don't need to know how to do regex and all this other, you know, coding and stuff. It just does it. And that's, that's the promise of AI. I know we're kind of getting off of the Google IO stuff, but this is to have a company like Google of Google size and prominence and Google search now doing this sort of stuff that's big and ai is a tool and it's it's a dangerous tool which you have to use correctly and i think that's right that's the real thing here we need we need to use these things correctly um speaking of ai let's talk about the uh another ai thing that they showed off which was the magic editor in the uh, google photos tell me about this one so um They've had this feature previously uh, on the Pixel phones, and I think it's available in Google Photos on other phones, including the iPhone now, called Magic Eraser. And what it does is if you have a picture like you're at the beach and you take a good picture of your kids, I'm using an example from real life, um, and there's a bunch of random people in the background, the Magic Editor will detect those people in the background and it can remove them and use uh, AI to like paint it out basically. So you cannot tell the people were there and it works pretty well. It really depends on what you're taking a picture of, what the background is like the beach is a good example because sand and ocean is pretty easy to fill in uh, computationally. Um, and magic editor is a step above that where the example they use is you have a picture of your kids sitting on a bench and they have their balloons and, but the picture is off frame. So the kid's kind of at the edge of the frame what they what they did in the demo was you can paint out the rest of the photo that you would want using magic editor and that will center your kid in the frame and it like will dynamically generate a bench and the rest of the background um another example they had was someone in front of a waterfall and they have their backpack strap across their chest and they used the uh, magic editor to paint that out so that it looked like they were not wearing the backpack um, it's really cool. I think it's still, it's still in early days. Cause you could definitely tell that the rest of the bench in the example they used was kind of a AI generated mess. And you could still see like the crease where the backpack, uh, strap was, but it's, it's a really cool technology, but it also raises that question uh, that we've talked about before with the galaxy S 23 faking the moon photos, where at what point is using computational photography and AI to touch up your images. At what point are you just making AI images? Like, I feel like there's some sort of metaphysical question there about reality and what's not real. Mm. Um, And I don't know why, but for me, this seems, this bothered me in that way more than magic eraser does. And I, I'm not really sure why. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a philosophy of photography that really kind of needs to be talked about because yeah. what is photography then you know what is what is a photograph and photography is such an interesting topic because pho- photography is both art but it's also just a way for us to record things life you know whether it's taking a photo of a serial number on a box or photos of our kids to preserve moments and and you're right. There was these. I mean, it's always been. You could always manipulate photos. That's always been right. a thing. Uh, I'm, I'm. I don't have. A, I don't have an answer. I'm just kind of working it out in yeah. my head. So that's <laughs> there's sort of a. It's almost like one of those things is like you know when is a when you're growing in a beard when does it become a beard like like there is a there is a point where it is the thing or it's not the thing but it's hard to draw the line of this is the line. And I, I, I see where you're coming from. Like, you know, if I, if I, if I'm centering my kid in the photo that when I took the photo off angle, 
um, and it's generating stuff to fill in the space where he was. Is the photo of that space that it filled in, or is the photo of my kid? What is the, you know, what is the the the, the object of the photo? And I think that's a part of should be part of the questions is what am I trying to record with this photo? I guess yeah, it's. I guess the argument could be made that even the way human memory works is we don't remember events exactly as they happened. Our brain edits them and collates them together to give us, give us our memory. So this is kind of a visual representation of that kind of thing. And like you said, people have been editing photos since photos were a thing. Um, before it just took a lot of skill to go in Photoshop and touch up pictures and things like that. Or like, do it this is even yeah. on film in the old old yeah. days. Yeah. So So this isn't anything new. It's just it's going to become extremely ubiquitous and it's it's an interesting question. I'm not opposed to it. It's just it gives you a lot of food for thought. It does. Yeah. I mean the question is as a representation of reality, I mean, is it even Gosh, you can get into the, the, the discussions of light hitting rods and cones in the back of your eye and being interpreted by your brain. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is what is the nature of reality? It's amazing that photography, taking a picture with your with your phone can raise such questions. But gosh, I you know, I would love to hear if, if anybody had, knows of any philosophers who've talked about such things or, you know, uh, ethicists and. I really would love to to hear to to discuss and hear more about this question of computational photography and AI generated you know content in photos um and the ethics and you know the existential nature of it that sort of thing um so if so and if you know listeners have any opinions on this please share them with us we'd love to hear from you uh you can send them technology at sqpn.com or visit our discord where we have we have great conversations about technology topics. That's at sqpn.com slash discord. Um, we, I'd love to hear what other people think. Certainly. I think that's a big mm-hmm. aspect. So uh, there were other announcements at Google IO, you know, good, good things, big things. It just was so much. We just couldn't possibly cover it all. But I think these are the highlights that we wanted to cover. Um, we'll have links to everything plus, plus more that you can explore uh, in case you didn't uh, get a, an idea of, uh, you know, everything that was going on at Google IO. Um, and you can let us know what you think of any of these announcements. What were your favorites? What do you think of the most, you know, important and, or uh, anything like that? So before we move on to other uh, headlines we want to talk about, I wanted to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Tom G, Matthew W, Brendan, Mike and Lisa S, and Kimberly S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, let's talk about some headlines that were interesting. This is a, this headline is a little older, but uh, it's still an interesting thing that happened. Uh, apparently in this town in Texas, uh, it is, I forgot to, Richmond, Texas. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where that is. Texas is big. And uh, <laughs> the uh, this guy was having people show up at his house at all hours of the day and night, knocking on his door, demanding their phone back. Because for some reason, Apple was showing these people's phones, once they were lost, were at his house's location. Uh, so it was a false you know, indicator. I mean, the, the guy is not stealing, you know, hundreds of people's phones or dozens of people's phones and, you know, taking him back to his house for them to be found. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other part of this is the the uh, local sheriff who's gotten in on it and they've notified Apple and Apple. I, I haven't seen any follow up on this, but there was no immediate you know, response from Apple on why this could be happening um, and how this could be putting this family's safety in jeopardy. But the sheriff was saying, you know, the other half of this is if you lose your phone and you see it show up at someone's house, you think they stole it. Don't go there yourself. Yeah. <laughs> don't your phone's not worth it. <laughs> no, call the police, have them deal with it. Uh, what do you think of this, Jack? I thought it's very interesting. I want to know what exactly is going on that is causing all the phones to point to this guy's house. Like, 
Does he have a specific address? Like, of course, it doesn't give out the address in the mm-hmm. thing. I mean, we could always just try turning on Find My iPhone and maybe it will tell us what it is. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just it's kind of bizarre. But if I was in the situation he was in, I'd be pretty mad, too, because mm-hmm. random people showing up at your house, probably mad because they think you have their phone. And why would they believe you that it's, you know, that it's yeah you know, a, a fake, which is probably why he went to the media to to get it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, this reminds me of a thing that happened several some years ago um, with IP address geolocation. Mm-hmm. So an IP address is a unique number related to every, let's just call every device on the Internet or every modem too. Um, and they, the, the system uses a very crude way of determining where the location of it. So if you ever, if you've ever seen an ad that says people in your town and it says your town or a town very close to you say this, like, how do they know where I am? They're using IP geolocation. Um, but um, apparently if they can't geolocate you, at least in the United States, it defaults to the exact geographic center of the continental United States, which is, I think, somewhere in Kansas. Um, hmm. And what was happening is, is people were showing up at that that location, someone's house in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, really mad. I mean, if you if you're traveling that far to, to, for this for for a reason, like yeah, that would be I don't know what you know, what you you think they did to you, but you're probably going to be pretty mad when you get there. Um, and it was a huge problem. And it's, so it's a similar thing where it's some, somebody somewhere decided that, you know, I, I kind of feel like that somebody decided um, in a case of fault, just randomly put it over here and not thinking of the ramifications of that. Uh, that's the only thing I could think. I would think they'd want to put it like in Cupertino, like at their headquarters, but maybe they don't want people showing up at their headquarters. <laughs> so they just threw a, through a dart at a board or like in the middle of the ocean or something, you know, like somewhere just completely, it couldn't possibly be there. So therefore, you know, that that's where we're going to put it or something. I don't know. Um, it's really weird. You get people, you'd get people trying to get into the middle of the ocean to find their phone. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Darwinism is a thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, our next headline is, uh, so it starts with this column in a student newspaper, uh, at this New York, uh, Stony Brook, SUNY Stony Brook, um, this student column, she's writing about the, this court case, Hatchet versus the Internet Archive. And, uh, so really what this is about the, about this court case, the, um, these four major publishing houses, Hatchet, HarperCollins, Wiley, and Penguin have sued the Internet Archive for copyright violation. So what what's going on is, is the inter, if you don't know the Internet Archive, it's one of the most valuable and free websites on the Internet. They catalog everything. They have cataloged pretty much every web page that's ever existed, every website anyway that's ever existed. But they catalog lots more books that are out of print, uh, old uh, copy, you know, uh, stuff that's out of copyright, like a film and video uh, computer games or software in general, um, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, it's the Internet's Library of Congress, in a sense. And mm. they started a program back in 2020 during the pandemic that would allow people to check out digital copies of books for, for two weeks or less, which is like a li- regular public library. And, and they would only allow them to check out as many copies as the Internet Archive or public libraries that are partnered with physically owned. Okay. So mm-hmm. if the, if all the libraries in the internet archive only had one physical copy of the book, then only one person could check it out at a time. This is how libraries have always worked. Well, these uh, four publishers have claimed violation of their copyrights, millions of dollars of damages. And uh, the first judge that the case has gone before found for the publishers, which has put, not just the Internet Archive at risk, but the whole concept of fair use and library lending at risk. Uh, Jack, what do you think about this whole story? I think this just goes back to the whole issue that we've had since acquiring media on the Internet became a thing of trying to take an analog paradigm and apply it to the digital realm. And it's two totally different things. Um, 
I think that really what needs to happen is copyright law needs to be completely overhauled for many reasons. This is one of them. Um, but yeah, this is, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume the judge probably heard digital books and remembers Napster and <laughs> thinks it's the same thing. Right. Right. Um, they're do the way they're doing this is really the most conservative and legal way they could be doing this. And this is the way a lot of libraries will do it where they have, programs where you can borrow ebooks and there's only a limited number. And I think it is tied to physical copies that they have to have. Um, but really like the internet archive is a fantastic resource and it's nonprofit and it's kind of like a time capsule and a recording of the vast wealth of human knowledge. And so it's, I think it irks a lot of people that they're, mm -hmm. they're going after them like this, especially because their claim of losing millions of dollars is ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that public libraries do not do the the physical copy for their for their own lending that they do like the through Libby mm. and other apps like that but they do buy digital copies right. of the books right and they are they are limited and 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 that's the thing that gets me is is libraries buy have are buying the books and there there is it, it, there is no precedent for saying you cannot lend someone the, a copy of the book you have. And whether the lending of the copy of that book is physical or digital, it shouldn't matter. As long as no one else gets to have that book, as long as that book is being used by one person at a time, the, this idea that somehow you can't lend it to someone, uh, I, I, I'm agreeing. We re need to rethink copyright in general in, in, because it is swung way too far uh, away from the public good and into uh, serving big corporations' uh, profit interests. And that's a problem. It's also, this is slightly tangential but related, it has completely destroyed uh, folk, like folk art, folk music, um, things like iterating upon different stories like you can like with Sherlock Holmes things like that in the public domain mm -hmm. people can iterate on those and make new things out of those you can't do that with like Captain Kirk or something and I think that there really needs to be some way that a balance is struck where the people who created the art are rightfully getting paid for it but it's also allowing it to be transformed in the way that humans have always done with art. Right. Building on what others have created. I mean, that's always been the idea is we need to give creators, you know, the value for what they've made, but not their descendants in perpetuity. <laughs> and certainly not the, the big corporations who buy the license that was never right. envisioned to be part of this um, because art, art builds on art. Art it doesn't ex like imagine if you know oh you can't ever make a new Pieta you know you can't ever make another image of G Mary holding Jesus from the cross because Michelangelo and his descendants have copyrighted that like it just it's crazy that's that's silly um, yeah and that's that's a really good example because that's the exact kind of thing that if that was created today people would do that there was a story about uh, an Ed Sheeran song which the owners of um, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye song, um, they said that because he used the same four chord progression, it was a, a ripoff of it. And the way that uh, Ed Sheeran defended his case was he went into the courtroom and he played using those four chords, like 100 different songs. <laughs> and like, that's, that's the level of overreach that some copyright uh, lawyers want to push us towards. There was a great viral video years ago called, uh, it's like, Paco Bell is the four chord song. No, it's Paco yeah. Bell is following me. So it's Paco Bell's Canon D. And they just kept like, everywhere I go, I hear Paco Bell's Canon D. And they played <laughs> all of these songs where it you could hear like parts of Paco Bell in it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you you can't you can't copyright a four chord progression. I mean, it is like it is a very basic thing. And you you're you're basically stopping all new music from that point. Yep. So yeah, it's very concerning, and I feel like we need to figure out patent law, copyright law, like all these things have really been changed in the modern world, and we need to rethink how we do them. So uh, here's a, uh, our next story. This was kind of a just an oddball story. <laughs> I don't know if it if it means anything or not, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Uh, this new uh, head of the NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, she took her oath of office as the director, not on the Bible or the U.S. Constitution, 
but on the book Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot. And I'm like, the article itself talks about how lots of people use other symbolic books. There's nothing that says you have to use a Bible to to Mm -hmm. swear an oath. Um, But but do you feel like it's it's kind of symbolic or emblematic of the age we live in? <laughs> I do, anyway. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I really don't care what book people want to pick to swear on, but it just seems... It seems a little tacky, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, from what she said, she, she felt it was um, inspirational to her. Carl Sagan himself you know, in his TV show, Cosmos inspired a whole generation of kids to be interested in science and the cosmos. And it's true. I remember watching Cosmos, the, yeah. the original, not the, 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 uh, um, oh, I wanted to see Neil Patrick Harris, Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tyson yeah. uh, version, but the original Carl Sagan version, I remember seeing that as a kid and it being really amazing and wild and pretty cool. And so I get it, but, um, it just feels weird. I feel like it's indicative of our in hyper individualistic culture where before when, when people swear on the Bible or swear on the constitution, it was like representing sort of like a ground of our society that everyone can reference. Whereas at this point it's like, you want to swear on, it'd be like someone swearing on Lord of the Rings or something yeah. where in of itself, it's a good thing, but that's not really the point <laughs> Tolkien himself would not want you to swear yeah. anything on the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that is true. And then finally, there's a, there was a story in the wall street journal talking about tipping and self checkout terminals. <laughs> Jack, do you tip at self checkout terminals? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, I mean, well, so I sometimes do. And the times I do is, is when I'm, I'm checking out, on a terminal where someone is like at a coffee bar where someone is crafting a drink for me, I would yeah, tip there. I, so I, I would do that. Um, if it's a small business, I'm much more inclined to, yeah. but if it's like, there's a lot of places where they make that the default now. And it's one of those like dark pattern kind of things we talked about a long time ago, right. where they'll show the tip screen and it's, they give you all the options, but then they don't give you the, no option or they make it like hidden. Um, well, they say, do you want to be a jerk and leave zero? <laughs> yeah, the exactly. equivalent. <laughs> yeah. They, the, one of the examples they give in this article is you're at the airport and you're at one of those convenience stores and you're buying an overpriced bag of chips and a bottle of water and you never see a person like no one ever actually hands you anything, helps you with anything. And then it wants you to leave a tip on the terminal as you're checking yourself out and it's like, that just seems weird. I would never, I would feel no compunction about leaving no tip on yeah. that. That's not even a, that's not even a tip at that point. That's just paying them extra money. Right. Well, you know, they all claim, in fact, the owners of this business claim that the money is collected and paid out to all employees. Um, and, you know, it's pooled among staff working that shift. And I'm like, or oh, just pay them their regular money. Like, why? I would feel weird as an employee getting this money for not doing anything. I would rather I would rather you just raise the price and pay people more than make me feel morally culpable for not paying people enough. Cause that's kind of what this is doing. Right now. Some people say, Oh, you know, I just don't like the impersonality of a self checkout. I love self checkout. Honestly. Uh, you know, I just, it, I sometimes I feel it's faster. Um, I could just, I could take care of things myself, whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I don't like if sometimes as they say, they say in this article, it's almost like a little bit of emotional blackmail, you know? Yeah. Well, I go, so I go to the farmer's market, say, and you know, this, the merchant, and I see these people every week in the summer, you know, and, and there's that little line there. Do you want to leave a tip? I'm like, I'm buying a jar of jam from you. All of this money is already going to you. Like, I like you, but why do you want me to tip you? <laughs> like, please don't make me say no. Yeah. It's just, it's an awkward situation socially. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like the best way to do that kind of thing is kind of do the pay what you want model, set a minimum price and you could add more if you want. But wording it as a tip for something artisanal just seems odd. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is the tips are required by law to go to the workers and not the owners. But if the owner is the worker, 
it's a little weird. There's another uh, example they give in the article about this guy who goes, who went to the ballpark, you know, major league baseball park. And they have like a walk-in beer fridge. You go in and help yourself and you know, you pay on the way out and the checkout, like hit him up for a tip. And it's like, why? <laughs> like the ballpark is already so expensive. Who's getting this money? Nobody's, nobody's helping me. You know, it's just, it's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the weird, the ways we have to navigate the modern world that we live in. That's, I guess that's yep. part of it. All right. Uh, so that those are the, all of our headlines I wanted to talk about. Let's move on and talk about our picks of the week. And Jack, why don't you go ahead and go first? What's your pick this week? My pick is the, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this. It's not really a word. It's YYYC, I guess you'll say it. Sure. Um, <laughs> it is a earphone replacement upgrade cable um, for for in-ear monitor ear, uh, ear earbuds. They have usually have removable cables and they have two little pins that you plug into the actual headphone. And it's nice because if your cable breaks, you don't have to buy a whole new set of headphones. You just get a new cable and you can swap it out. Um, and I found this one recently that has the USB-C port on the end rather than the normal um, three and a half millimeter connector, um, which means I don't have to use an adapter with my phone now because, of course, no phones have headphone jacks. Um, it's I think it's like a, it's eighteen dollars. It's got the inline uh, mics and all that, which I honestly don't care about. I just wanted something that allows me to not use uh, an, another adapter with my phone. Um yeah, and it's it works exactly as intended, and I just like the fact that unlike wireless earbuds, I can swap out the cable if it breaks, and I can also swap out the cable for different devices. So it's good for sustainability. Was it very hard to 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 pull them out and get the new ones in? I mean, was it tricky at all? I'm demonstrating on here on a live on camera. It's actually the headphones I'm using, so I hope this doesn't mess up my audio. But yeah, you just pop it out and oh. snap it back in. It's good to go. Oh, cool. What brand were the headphones? Like, were they just uh, they are KZN Pros. I can. Uh, I'll throw the link oh, okay. in the show notes too. Uh, if you want to get headphones to go with your uh, cable, they come with just the standard cable. But okay. they're like thirty bucks, and they honestly sound better than the AirPods I used to have. Oh. Yeah, I know. I never knew that this was a thing where you had uh, you could just pull them off the cable. That's that's wild. Yeah, cool, awesome. So my pick this week is is something that I bought off of Etsy. And um, I talked a while ago about a special uh, case cage that I got from my Mac studio to mount it to the bottom of my desk. And I'm like, what other things could I get that were 3D printed and people selling on eBay? So I, I've I've talked before and I think it was picking my weekly once before that I, I love the Elgato Stream Deck, which is basically it's a it's a set of keys, um, like a keyboard, but they're programmable and they have little OLED screens behind them that change dynamically as you use it. Um, and uh, one of these days I'm going to do a, a blog post on my blog with how I use my stream deck. Cause it, 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 it's really a visual thing. You have to see it. And so I would have to use screenshots to show uh, what I'm talking about, but it's awesome. And now I have two of them. I have the small 15 <laughs> one, uh, 15 key one. And I, then I got the big 30 key one. And I mean, the stream deck can become a lifestyle. Let me just tell you that. But having two of them, it was taking up space. So I found this stand on, on Etsy that allows me to sort of mount them on one piece, one armature. Uh, so that it takes up so much less room and they're kind of stacked. It is awesome. <laughs> I think I'm on to you. I know what you're doing. You're just going to keep adding these until you have a complete replica of the Starship Enterprise in your <laughs> office got me. with all the glowing lights. I'm going to be like Spock in here, like, <laughs> uh, Captain, I'm scanning the surface and I'm touching all the buttons. Yes, that's totally going to be me. <laughs> it's going to be looking like, a, like a, a Boeing 747 cockpit in here eventually. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, gosh, I've, I've turned some other people on to the stream decks and... Um, yeah, I'll have to go into a longer explanation at some point, uh, you know, of, of why I think it's so valuable. But it's such a time saver. I can program it at one just an example, one touch of the button. It says start podcasting. It turns my podcasting lights on, turns my office lights off, turns on, uh, t uh, turns off the power. I've, I've, I've programmed a, a smart outlet 
to the Amazon Echo so I can say, uh, you know, Alexa, all I want. And it no longer responds, <laughs> which is awesome. And, you know, it does all these it turns on the on air light that I have outside my office door and all at the touch of a button. And you'll launch the software on my uh, computer to get everything ready to go. Um, and that's just one small example. I use it for all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, it, it, but but this, you know, forty five dollar. 3D printed stand from this particular guy on Etsy is great. And he's, he sells all kinds of things like this, like all these really cool special gadgets that just make life a little easier stands and docks and, and stuff like that. Just, I mean, that's another thing just is like how much cool, you know, tech stuff there is on Etsy. It's not just, you know, crocheted, you know, doilies or whatever else is on there. <laughs> oh yeah. That seems a great place to get custom, uh, custom tech things. Uh, yeah. And looking at this stuff here, like he's, this is like, I really like the like minimalist design he's got going on with these stands. They look great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, when you're using it, you can't even see it, but if you turn around, I mean, it looks nice. It doesn't look, you know, janky or anything. It does look nice. So, um, yeah, definitely, you know, at least, if you don't have a stream deck, check it out and maybe these get some other things that would be uh, useful for you too. So just um, nice. Yeah. So that's my pick of the week. And that is our show. Uh, what did you think of anything we discussed today? We would love to hear from you and you can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes on starquest.fm slash tec212. This is show 212. And remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, you know, help us out on social media wherever you can. And until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>